Just to, can we celebrate Brittany and the whole worship arts team? Just absolutely gorgeous. Between uh, Jana and Brittany, I don't really know if I need to preach this morning. I mean, you guys have been filled up already. Um, how many of you have seen the recently released Marvel movie Endgame? Just out of curiosity. So I'm not going to give any spoilers so you can still see it. Yeah, so I, I guess it's broken all uh, sorts of uh, sales records in the first weekend, surpassing Titanic and even Star Wars. Can you believe it? What's going on with that? Um, and, and so it's interesting, this phenomenon. They've had 22 movies, and they are just selling out, and people are responding, as opposed to, and you could say, well, it's superheroes and all that, but DC is not doing nearly as well, right? They're, they're trying to do... So there's something about Marvel that's special, that's connecting with people, uh, unlike other movies or, or um, corporations, D DC and so forth. And I think part of it is not only the character development and the storyline, they don't just throw action up on the, on the screen, but there's themes. There's some deeper themes that these movies tend to touch base and connect with. In a little nerdy of a way, but I know that ship has sailed. You know that about me, right? So with my kids, we like rank like what of our, our top Marvel movies and all of that. In the top five, I have two of the Captain America movies. One is Civil War and the other is Winter Soldier. And one of the reasons why I like these movies so much is yes, Captain, Mar Mar uh, Captain America is, is awesome, but also there's a theme of friendship that's there. And in fact, part of the, the struggle in both of those movies is, is Stephen Rogers, Captain America's commitment to his childhood friend. And his childhood friend, he eventually becomes a winter soldier, Bucky, um, and he, he's, he, he is torn apart, he's ruined um, by the bad guys, and he begins to do bad, bad things. And the rest of the Avengers are like, we need to take him out. And Captain America's like, I can't, I don't think I can do that. He's my friend. Watch this uh, clip. He's remembering the, the friendship before Bucky was spoiled uh, by the bad guys. You don't have to. 
I'm with you to the end of the line, pal. That line, I'm with you to the end of the line, that becomes important. And in fact, at the end, uh, Captain America, I can't, couldn't show that one because he's being beaten to a pulp by Winter, Winter Soldier. But he says to him, I'm with you to the end of the line. And it, I, I will do a spoiler alert for Winter Soldier and Civil War. So, But it's Captain America's commitment to him that redeems him. His friendship redeems Winter Soldier and Bucky. And, and, and that's part of the reason why I think these beautiful themes, why people are connecting as they recognize these themes. We've been uh, walking through, we just started last week, a series of what were called Sacred Friends. And, and we're talking about, we believe that the gospel wants to redeem and restore and renew, transform every area of our lives, including and especially friendship. And we don't talk. We talk so much about marriage and romance and so forth as a church, but we don't talk enough about friendship. And I am convinced that there is a Captain America-type figure in Scripture. Minus the name and the muscles and the superpower, okay? But in the sense of I am with you to the end of the line, there is this character who demonstrates what I would call sacred friendship. And part of the sacred friendship is a kindness that we see in Captain America, is a commitment is a loyalty that is not from Hollywood and on the screens, but from scripture itself and is, can be very inspirational for us. This morning, we're going to go deep into the Old Testament. I want to encourage you to, if, there, if you brought your Bibles, great. Um, there are Bibles located in the seats in front of you. And we're going to kind of walk through this short book, this book of Ruth. And um, I want to encourage you to use the table of contents. It's hard to find the book of Ruth because it's a very short book. I believe it's after Judges and in front of uh, uh, 1 Samuel. But the story of the book of Ruth, in part, is the story of a friendship. A story of a friendship of Ruth to her mother-in-law, Naomi. And we're told in the opening chapter of Ruth is that um, um, Naomi and her husband and her two sons, there's famine in the land in Israel, so they travel to Moab to try and make a living. A tragedy strikes the family. Not only does Naomi lose her husband, but also she loses um, her two sons. Don't know how. She's devastated. She's going to return back to Bethlehem, back to uh, Israel. 
and she encourages her two daughter-in-laws, now that they've lost their husbands, they are Moabites, they are from Moab, right? So she's saying, I'm gonna go back to Israel and you two women, you stay. Starting at uh, chapter one, verse 11, if you wanna read along with me or just listen. But Naomi said, this is to Orpah and to Ruth. Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there were still hope for me, she doesn't. She's hopeless. Even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah, one of the daughters-in-law, kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But, but Ruth clung to her. Notice the, uh, the literary device of contrast. Orpah, she, she doesn't do anything wrong or evil or bad. In fact, she does what Naomi is encouraging her to do. She, she does what would be culturally appropriate. She does what is expected in this. She, she's young enough, presumably, that she would be able to return to her home, her family, and then eventually remarry again. This is the expectation. This is what Naomi is saying to do, and Orpah does that. Scripture says, but Ruth. Ruth does something different, something unexpected. Ruth does something uncommon that I would assume those around them went, whoa, why, why? Ruth, that, that doesn't make sense. That, that's not good for you, Ruth. And she doesn't literally say, Naomi, I'm with you to the end of the line. <laughs> what she does say is far more beautiful and far more poetic and sacred. She says this in verse 16. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you to return back from you. Oh, I get choked up on these words. I love these words. Where you go, I will go. She's saying this to her mother-in-law. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her her. Who does that? In that kind of relationship? I mean, she, she had nothing before her. Her, her. her husband had died. She's not uh, a Hebrew. She's returning, going to a foreign land, and yet she says, no, I'm casting my lot with you. I am for you. That, that commitment, that loyalty, that love. 
it must have caused the people of Moab. And we're going to see it caused the people of Israel to go, who is that? What is this young Ruth made of that she would say these words? Now, Naomi is returning to Israel in distress. Naomi and Ruth return, and she returns with this great sadness. In fact, she suggests a name change for herself. It is not a positive name change. Verse 20, don't call me Naomi, she told them to the Israelites. They've returned to Bethlehem. Call me Mara. Mara um, means um, uh, bitter. Yep, Mara means bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full. Here's the the main storyline of the book. I went away full, Naomi says, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Deep sadness, deep emptiness. But here's what we figure out over the course of the book is the Lord was not done with Naomi. The Lord had plans to work in Naomi, to love Naomi, and bring redemption to Naomi. And do you know how he planned to do that? Through the friendship of Ruth. Through the kindness and commitment and loyalty of her daughter-in-law. In fact, he decides to take this character, this heart of a, you could call her Captain Bethlehem. Huh? Right? There you go. Right? So right there. He takes this nobility of who Ruth is. And through her love and loyalty and friendship takes this, by confession, empty Naomi and fills her and restores her and renews her. He uses the kindness to transform her life. Now, I think we're, we're, we're talking about, we're, we're looking at qualities of sacred friendship. What makes a friendship sacred as opposed to secular? What makes our friendship, how does God call us to live into friendships in such a different way? What are those attributes that the world would go, that is a different kind of friendship that I see among those people? And the word that that the book of Ruth uses quite often is kindness. This idea of loving kindness. It translates the Hebrew word chesed into kindness. In fact, as the story goes, Naomi and Ruth return to Bethlehem and Israel. And then, um, uh, long story shorter, 
Um, Ruth decides to offer herself in marriage to her uh, guardian redeemer, kinsman redeemer. An older man, Boaz is his name. And Boaz is taken back by this. And he sees this as this incredible kindness that this woman, younger, of noble character, would be willing to marry him. And he says this, look at, um, you can look in your, your bulletin or in, this is Ruth chapter 3, 10 and 11. Boaz says this kindness, this chesed, is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. And listen to what he says about her reputation. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. How would they know that? Through the relationship that she has with Naomi. The way she loves her mother-in-law, cares for her mother-in-law. And then just to complete the short story, if you flip to chapter 4, verse 13, it's how it ends. And it ends with a picture of Naomi holding the newborn child born to Ruth and Boaz. Verse 13 says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women of Bethlehem and Israel said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without. Has not left you empty. Has not left you there has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous, this child, throughout uh, Israel. He will renew your life, Naomi, and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. You see, they see and recognize this woman of noble character that God took and filled Naomi, renewed Naomi, will sustain Naomi by this friendship and love of her. I often like to ask questions especially in the Old Testament, but throughout Scripture, is why is this story in Scripture? Why, why did God preserve? This is a thousands of years old story, right? This is an ancient story. It's this four-chapter story. Why? Of all the, the history and Israel and the kings and everything happening, the, this one woman, Naomi, or, or two women, Naomi and Ruth, and their story. Well, one reason is, is that this child would be in the, the line of Jesse and then King David, 
and then Messiah, right? Did you know that Jesus had some Moabite blood in him through this story? But I think there's another reason for this. I think that this story is preserved as an invitation to you and me. It is an invitation and I would say a promise. The invitation is that we would live into our relationships, into our friendships. Doesn't matter whether it's a, our friendships within a marriage, marriage relationship. It doesn't matter if it's a, it's a, a, a mother and father to a, a daughter or a son. It doesn't matter a best friend, a, an adopted son or daughter. It doesn't mean if it's a co-worker, whatever, the best friend from high school, that this is an invitation that we would witness to the love of God, the kindness of God, to the world, this broken world, through our friendships, through how we live into our friendships. That would be that testimony, the kindness, the loyalty, the commitment that Ruth had, that we would demonstrate the sacred friendship that can exist only within the kingdom of God. That if we really live in that way, that this broken world that longs for true friendship would say, wow, that, what is going on there? I would also say that this is a promise, that God has preserved this relationship and this book as a promise to us that this kind of noble living will change this world. Amen, will transform this world. Just as Ruth's noble kindness transformed Naomi's life, and it is Hollywood, I get it, but you get the idea that Captain America's kindness transformed his friend's life so that we could live in such a way that our friendship would transform the lives of our children and our parents and our best friends and our co-workers, regardless of whether they know the Lord or not. I was reading about a philanthropic organization that um, has made news the last several years. It's, it's done such innovative uh, work. Some of you might have heard of it. It's a Robin Hood Foundation. This Robin Hood Foundation was um, uh, its goal and purpose. It's it's centered in New York, but it goes well beyond that. But their goal is to alleviate urban poverty. And the the founder is Paul Tudor Jones. I guess he. Uh, founded Tudor Investment Corporation, and he, I guess, defied uh, financial gravity by he earned and gained for 28 straight years, regardless of how the economy was doing. He, that was his investment corporation. He's a he's become a self-made billionaire now. Jones started the Robin Hood Foundation in 1988, and since its inception, has channeled one point. 
one and a half billion dollars, billion dollars to serve the needs um, within the cities. Um, Fortune magazine called it a number of years ago one of the most innovative and influential philanthropic organizations of our time. So this, this is uh, Robin Hood Foundation doing these incredible things. And through a number of interviews, um, um, we learned uh, where the, the, the vision and the direction and, and the intensity of uh, Paul Tudor Jones came for this. He, would, he tells a story that he was a young boy, about four years old, and he was at an outdoor vegetable market with his mother. And he lost sight of her, and he got lost, and he couldn't find her. He said in an interview, you know, at four years old, your mother's everything. He was afraid, and he was distraught. Um, and he says, um, and then this extraordinary, kind, very old, very tall black man came over and said, don't worry, we're going to find your mama. Don't cry. We're going to find her. You're going to be happy in just a minute. And, and this man directed the stranger, four-year-old, found the mom. And, and what um, Paul Tudor Jones says is that moment had such a profound impact of my life. And he said this, for me, I think it's kind of spawned a lifetime of trying to always repay that kindness. That, that's motivated him. And that, who knows, who, I, I'm sure that man, yeah, who knows who he is or if he knows that story, but just that one simple act of kindness had such a profound impact in this four-year-old's life that now he's given over one and a half billion dollars to be kind to others' lives. To think that God wants to take those acts of kindness in our friendships and use them for redemptive purposes. Doesn't matter how small or how grand that God is looking for people who would respond to his kindness, love others close to us and far from us and redeem the world in that way. A, a, a slightly different perspective, different angle of this, a little bit more challenging for you and me. The Apostle Paul talks about God's kindness, but he talks about it in a challenging way. He says, uh, this is in um, Romans 2, 4. He says, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience. Forbearance is, means mercy or lenience or tolerance. He's saying, don't show contempt for God's kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. In other words, he's saying God's kindness 
kindness in your life, God's mercy in your life, God's, God's patience in your life. It doesn't end there. It doesn't, it's not meant to stop there. It's mean to bring change. That's what repentance is. It's meant to, to change your life. He says, we can show contempt for the riches that God has poured out on us if it stops with us. By receiving all these things and then failing to live in response. If we receive God's kindness, which we have through the cross, remember, Paul sees the cross of Christ, Jesus himself, as the physical expression of God's kindness and tender mercies and love. If we receive his kindness, and we have, if we are Christians, and yet live hurtful, insensitive lives, then we are showing contempt for his kindness. If we have accepted his mercies and celebrated his mercies, but fail to be merciful and forgiving to others, then we show contempt. If we experience God's patience and so thankful for his patience, and yet live nothing but impatient and aggravated towards others, then we show contempt for the goodness of God. This is particularly humbling to me, friends. The last couple of weeks uh, with the loss of Luke and Cambria's mom, just the kindness has been poured out to me and us as a family. At the, um, Luke's college, they're like, We'll give you the grades that you have. You don't have to take finals. You can pack up and go home. We'll, in fact, send two of your friends with you to drive home. And then we'll put them up in a hotel and we'll fly them back. Amen. Uh, uh, Cambria's high school, um, they said, we'll give you the grades. You're going to graduate. I got three phone calls from administrators from the high school. I was like, wow, the, the music teacher was over at our house. This, the, this blessing that at, at, at Cambria's performance, you had grandmother of a, <laughs> of, of a friend of Cambria. She's handing us money. I was like, hey, we're okay. No, 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 no. Take this and use it. I, I had to say to a few folks, we're, we don't need, no, we're, we're good. The, the church was like, how can we serve? We'd like to pay for that. We're, we're okay. But just this, this overflow of kindness was, was beautiful by many of you. Now, if I don't allow that kindness to affect how I live, I'm showing contempt, right? This is, this is God's redemptive work in my life, in the life of my kids and family, right? You, don't you see that? that? That God is at work in this, right? Showing his kindness, his love, his goodness. And, and I get to celebrate that and say, thank you, God. And yet, if I don't let that transform how I live in relationship, then I show contempt for the richness of God. 
Friends, here's a question. Let's focus on friendships. What are the friendships in your life that you need to start living sacred kindness, sacred loyalty, sacred commitment to? What are those relationships? Now, listen to this question very carefully. I did not say what relationships deserve your kindness. That's the world thinking, isn't it? Right? Don't we say, well, they, well, they were pretty kind to me, so I think I should be there. That's not sacred. Where's the source of that loving kindness to come from? Deep within, yes. Yeah, right. This experience of his loving kindness is to so fill us that that should pour out regardless of who they are, regardless of how they've treated you, except you don't have to love your enemies, right? That is a separate, right? You just love the friends, right? But you don't have to love enemies. Boy, that doesn't sound right, does it? No, probably not. That's not sacred thinking, is it? Right, he's saying that your relationships, do your, here's another challenging way to ask it. Do the people in your lives, your friendships and your relationships, do they know that you've experienced the loving kindness of God by how you treat them? Boy, I hope so. But I'm going to go with, I hope so, but I know I can do way better. Amen. I know that oftentimes I, feel, I, I fall in the world's trap of treating people how I think they deserve to be treated. Not how God the Father has treated me. See the, the trap of the world? That, that's where we talk about this stinking thinking. That's not kingdom thinking. What are the relationships and the friendships in your life that desperately need some Ruth love, some Captain Bethlehem love, some loyalty, some commitment? Um, another scripture I have up there just in parentheses is I love this scripture Philippians 4 5 says this let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near let your gentleness I would say gentleness is part of kindness isn't it where someone experiences your gentleness and they go but that, that's different. Boy, the, the Lord must be doing a work in that kindness that's there. All right. One more thing. Uh, I'm going to blame Janet. She went a little long in there, so we're going to go just a, a little long. Huh? There's she right there, Janet. Okay. <clears throat> there, there, I, I don't want to leave this story because I think it... 
it illustrates a little, um, a principle of sacred friendships that's super important. And it's, it's seeds and fruit of friendship. Seeds and fruit of friendship. At one moment in Ruth 2, Ruth 2.12, Boaz says to, to Ruth, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. All right? Oftentimes when we hear a line like this, may the Lord repay you for what you have done, it's not a positive thing, right? It's oftentimes a negative, may the Lord repay you, right? Just heard that uh, in, in the news this past week, the Russian airline that... That went down. Some of you heard that, and there were um, there were 78 people on the emergency landing, the crash landing, and they were rushing out, and 41 people were killed. And then a, a Russian passenger got on Facebook. He was one of the survivors, but he was he was dismayed that some of those who survived slowed down the evacuation process. And, uh, and probably cost the life to get their bags. They got their bags. And it probably cost the lives of some people. And he said this on Facebook, I don't know what to say about people who ran out with bags. God is their judge. Hard deal. Um, points us to this principle, 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Such a challenging scripture. You would say, aren't we all covered in the grace of Christ? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Aren't we all forgiven for the mistakes we make? Yes, we are. We, we all receive eternal life. But in some way, some mystery, our actions and our words today, our present day actions have eternal consequences. Now apply, apply that to friendships. Boaz is saying to Ruth, the Lord will repay your loving kindness, how you have loved your mother-in-law how you have loved me. The Lord sees that. He hears your words. He knows your heart. He recognizes those sacrifices and he will bless you for all those good things. Boy, I want to live my relationships in such a way that God sees and blesses me in eternal life. Preach it, baby. Preach it. That's right. <laughs> Paul says this in Galatians 6. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Here's the sacred friendship principle. You reap in friendship what you sow. It might not be right away. It might not be immediate. 
It might be confusing for a time, but if you sow loving kindness, then you'll experience loving kindness. If you sow intimacy and authenticity and honesty, then you'll reap this oftentimes in this life, but for sure in eternity. Here's the question I have for you. What are you primarily sowing into your closest friendships? If you're sowing impatience, harshness, lies, that's going to affect. That's going to come to fruition. Another way to ask that is, what are you longing for in your friendships right now? My guess is, here's the best suggestion I can have. If you're, if you're experiencing loneliness and long for a greater intimacy, begin sowing that intimacy into your friendships. Except your enemies, right? Sow those things. If you're, if you are, if you're struggling with bitterness, then start sowing the opposite of forgiveness. If you're struggling with that sense of no one cares. No one's good. No one's kind. Start caring. Start showing kindness. Not if the people deserve it, but what you've experienced here. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence in our midst and your goodness. We thank you that you're speaking to us.